which comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 34. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? This is the word of the Lord. Almighty God, bless uh, the reading of this scripture, the preaching that it inspires in our ears as we hear what you have to say to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, this morning, the sermon that I have for you, in particular, had a, um, has quite a, a bit of references, um, which were going to um, be helpfully displayed on the screen for you, in case I, you couldn't keep up with me. Sometimes when there's nothing on the screen, you forget what I just said, and if you're taking notes, it's, it's good to have it up there, so you can still take them. So I, we do apologize for that. Um, I would say if this sermon in particular is of particular interest to you and maybe you miss some things because of just the just the, the, the volume of things that I'm going to be addressing, you might miss some of it. I would just encourage you, you can always go back online to um, our website, which is refugechurchne, like newengland.com, and you can just re-listen to it. I know I love re-listening to my sermons over and over again <laughs> quite frequently. Um, just kidding. <laughs> but um, if, you, if, the, if it is of interest to you, and we are online right now too, so I'm not sure if that means the slides are also online. Okay, they are. Um, so that might be of service to you too. If you're here and you're, you're missing out on some of the printed things, um, you can go back online and check those out. So um, it is so good to be with you on the second advent, the advent of love. And I hope that um, over the coming weeks, you're thinking about and praying for um, people in your family, friends, people that you work with and love, um, to maybe invite them to one of our special services. December 20th is really like the, the one that we're really aiming to, it's a Sunday morning, um, that we're aiming to invite people to come or to um, watch online. Although, um, if they're busy that day, any one of them will work. We do have a Christmas Eve service this year, which I'm super thrilled about. It's at 4 p.m. It will be for uh, less than an hour. And the reason it's so early is we want to be able to, we know a lot of people go to see their family, and they're cooking things, there are various things that they do. So we thought it was a good time to just take a break, go to church, um, hear the word of God, sing the word of God, and just have some fellowship on Christmas Eve. It's always a, a wonderful thing that we get to do. So I hope that you can join us then, too. Um, but just as ways of reminders for all that, if you probably have all gotten these already, um, this is just a little card with all the dates and times and everything that you need to know about our services, okay? So if you want, you can, um, on where the glass doors are in the back, there's a big pile of these. Um, if you want to take a few for your neighbors or friends, 
or family, feel free. We've got plenty, okay? One exciting thing, too, is we, uh, that you guys can pray for. We actually might have a Christmas event to serve the town of Warren. It's still, it's still a little up in the air, but it's looking like it's, it's going to go. So we're going to do a, um, like a Christmas version of a trunk or treat and watch some Christmas movies at the park. And Maria is going to be leading that for us. So we're just thrilled for her. And, uh, and we're doing it with the Parks and Recreation Department again. They called us again and asked us to help with an event um, that, they, um, that they're putting on. So it's a great opportunity. And if, if you want to um, have some fun, um, we, we don't need too many volunteers for that. Like it's, so far, it's me and Maria, maybe one or two more. Because all we got to do is set up video stuff and show it. It's very simple. You know, so if you want to help, you can come see, uh, you can go see Maria. We could use some just arms and legs to help carry things around, you know, so that would be a great service to us. The reason we do it, too, by the way, it's not just to entertain our community. We're going to have the opportunity to get to know our neighbors and even invite them to that, the one remaining Christmas Eve service that we have left. So we want to take advantage of that, okay? Be praying for that, um, and if you want to get involved, bring your kids, your grandkids. It's going to be a lot of fun. I don't have um, any information about it yet but it will be coming soon as far as like dates and times and place and all this okay so we read this morning um, a text from the gospel of luke it's a classic text that we read um, about um, d during christmas time and advent season in our text something that you might have missed or maybe just weren't aware of is that in it we have at least six prophecies fulfilled there are six different um items in this text that the Old Testament promised would happen before it happened and then it happened. A prophecy is not a random prediction of some future event that happens to come true. Nostradamus did that, right? The Simpsons do that. They're sort of, you know, modern day prophets. They, they, you remember that one Simpsons episode that is popular now with um, Donald Trump coming down an escalator, having won the presidency, and they did, this was like a 10-year-old Simpsons, and, and they have the same exact picture of the real Donald Trump coming down the same, the, some similar-looking look, escalator, and even with a, a pit person in the background taking a picture that almost looks the same. It's really quite eerie. Um, so those people at the Simpsons, I don't know what magic eight ball they're looking through. But a prophecy is not this. It's not just some random prediction that comes true um, in the future um, and, and just by happenstance. And as I said, in that sense, anyone might just be a prophet. Today's message actually is about prophecy, about our coming prince. And I know immediately when you start hearing some, maybe depending on your background, you hear the word prophecy and you're immediately skeptical. Oh, is this going to be weird? What's this going to be about? Um, the, I've, I've heard things that sometimes are a little strange. Um, hopefully that won't be the case by the end of this. A prophecy um, is not some random prediction made by some guru about what might or might not happen in the future. A prophecy is a promise that God makes before the fact. A prophecy is a promise God has made ages ago and then he fulfills in his time. It's not out of control, it's not random, it's a promise God makes, and then a, a promise that he follows through with. That's what they are. Let me give you a little example of kind of what I mean. Every Monday, I take one of my children on a date with me. Lucky them, right? <laughs> well, lucky me, I should say. So every Monday I do this, I take one of my kids out on a date. It's usually to the, nowadays it's hard to find places to go, right? There's this little farm near our house that we like going to, or we might go through a drive-thru and get an ice cream cone or something. 
usually around Friday, I'll tell them, don't forget, um, this Monday, I'm taking you out. We're going to have a lot of fun. I'm going to take you somewhere special. Monday comes, and indeed, um, I follow through, and I indeed take them somewhere special. I make a prediction beforehand. I make a promise to them, and then I follow through on that promise, right? That's kind of what the meaning of prophecy in Scripture is, except way better. <laughs> it is our Father of love telling us beforehand what he's going to do, and then he does it. You see, there's, there's a couple of big differences, though, between God and me. Maybe more than two. But in this case, there's a couple of big differences between God and me. It's different from my promise to my children in some important ways because I don't have absolute control over all the circumstances of life. I can tell them it's my intention to take them out on, on Monday, but I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know if the weather is going to be agreeable. All sorts of things could interfere with that plan. Isn't that true? Not only that, I might change my mind because I'm not always a good guy. Sometimes I can be kind of a jerk, believe it or not. Right? That's, those are two huge differences between me and God. God is always good and never changes his mind, and no one can interfere with the majestic power and plan of God. So when God says he's going to do something, he does it. It happens. God's promise communicated beforehand and then accomplished because of this does two wonderful things for the believer. The first thing is it builds our trust. When we hear God make a promise ages past and then fulfill that promise, it builds our trust in him because he doesn't change his mind and because he has the power to follow through with what he says so we can trust him. But it does something else for us. It builds our love for him. It deepens it. It widens it. It broadens it. When the Father of love promises long ago that he would save us from our sin, that he would come for us, that he would forgive us, that he would clothe us in his goodness and righteousness, that he would make us to be with him forever and ever, when he makes this promise and then we see him accomplish it in the person of Jesus Christ, oh, doesn't, friend, that just swell your heart with love for him. So today we celebrate the advent of love because our God, the promise keeper, has kept his promise. What a better way could we develop our love more fully for God through recognizing and paying attention to his promises that he has fulfilled, every single one of them. He is a God we can trust, and because he is a God we can trust, he is a God we can love. It's hard to love people that you can't trust. Isn't that true? In our Advent series so far, we've been on this for two weeks, um, we have established that Christ claimed to be something and that his followers claimed him to be something. The promised seed savior. He claimed to be the one promised long ago to come and rescue people from their sin and reconcile them with their God. He claimed to be this promised seed. He, he said he was more than that, though. Ultimately, he said, I am God in the flesh, the incarnate Son of God, the Word made flesh. How on earth can we believe this to be true? Such a, what seems to us in our modern minds to be such a wild claim. Jesus and the apostles gave two reasons to prove it. There are two reasons why, they, why, why Jesus said you can trust 
this account of who I am, and there are two there are similar reasons that the apostle gave. The first reason, and probably the most important reason, is that Jesus is alive. He resurrected from the dead. We're going to get to that more. Believe it or not, we're talking about that not on Easter, but on Christmas Eve, so I hope that you can come. Seems like an odd topic for Christmas Eve, but we're going to talk about the resurrection of Christ on Christmas Eve. And here's why. I'm getting besides the point now. Um, the birth of Christ doesn't matter without the resurrection of Christ. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he's just another baby that's been born like you and I, who is just a smart guy that gives us some good advice. But because he's alive, that gives his birth significance and power. So we're going to talk about that then. Here's the second reason, though, that they gave, which is today's discussion. They claimed that in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, all the messianic prophecies, that are the, 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 the predictions about the Savior in the Old Testament, that in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, all the messianic prophecies predicted and promised centuries ago by God, as recorded in the Old Testament, have been fulfilled. That was the radical claim of the apostles and Jesus Christ, that everything that Moses said and the prophets said, all of it has been fulfilled in him. The Old Testament, written over the course of 1,000 years, did you know this, contains 300 prophecies about the coming Christ. All of them, not some, not half, all of them were fulfilled in the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Every single one. And this morning, I want to talk about the advent of love so that we can more fully see the promises and the prophecies of, uh, about Christ fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Um, and I want to close with why it matters. So today, let's walk through this. Prophecies about Jesus fulfilled and why it matters. So let's open up with this. This is where it's going to get busy. You guys ready? All right, let's buckle our seatbelts. Because there's a lot. I'm not, I said there were 300, right? I'm only going to give you a few, okay? <laughs> there's a lot more. And there are wonderful books that talks about every single one, um, one by one. If, you, if you're interested in those books, I can, I can show you where they are. But I'm just going to give you a fraction of them. The first one... Um, is that the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, said that the Messiah Savior would come through the seed of the woman. And I will put enmity, it says, between you and the woman and between your offspring, your seed, and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In Galatians chapter 4, 4, the apostles understood this person, this seed of the woman, to be Jesus Christ himself when they said, but when the set time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, fulfilling the prophecy of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, born under the law. So Christ would be born of a woman <clears throat> as he was through Mary. But not just any woman, a virgin. This is the second um, prediction that the Bible makes, that the Messiah, the Savior, would come through a virgin, a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So it's not just a miraculous birth from a virgin who gave birth to some human king or some powerful ruler or some fantastic philosopher. No, she would give birth to the Son of God, God with us. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, says this, and I'm sort of paraphrasing. 
This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before, before they came together, you know what that means, right? I don't get to paint you a picture, I hope. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, which we just read. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. But can I add to this also that the Bible says that our Savior, our Lord, would also come from the tribe of Judah. It says this in Genesis 49, verse 10, and we're going to get to this a little bit more later because this says a lot more than just that he came from Judah, and it's really awesome. Genesis 49, 10, the scepter will not part, depart from Judah. The scepter is ultimate authority. It's judicial authority. It's governing power, right? So the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. God is talking here um, to the 12 sons of Jacob, of Israel. And when he gets to Judah, he says, Judah, in your line will be all the kings of Israel. And all the kings of Israel, indeed, of the northern kingdom of Jerusalem, all came from Judah, including Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 3, verse 23, now Jesus was the son <clears throat> of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of, the son of, and it goes on and on and on if you've read it, the son of Aminadab, the son of Perez, the son of Judah. You see, friends, not only did the Bible promise in Jeremiah chapter um, 23, verse 5, that he would come from the house of David, this was fulfilled in Luke chapter 3, verse 23 and verse 31. So not only was he from the house of Judah, but he was also from the house of David, as promised. The Bible also promises in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that he will be born in Bethlehem, even though Jesus, as we know, his parents were not from Bethlehem. In this emergency, last-minute thing, they had to go to Bethlehem when they were living in Nazareth, do you remember? And that was no coincidence. That was the architect, our God, proving to us who Jesus is, moving him out of Nazareth to Bethlehem to fulfill Micah chapter 5. And we see this in Matthew 2. We also know from Jeremiah chapter 31, tragically, that when the Messiah comes, that there will be a maniacal, evil, twisted king who will kill the children of Israel. And that's exactly what Herod, Herod did in Matthew, excuse me, um, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. We just read also that this child will be called Emmanuel in Isaiah 7, verse 14. And that's, this is indeed what they called Jesus Christ in Matthew 1, 23 and other places. The coming Messiah will be a king in Psalm chapter 2, verse 6. And what do they call him even when he crucified? Behold, the king of the Jews. It said that he would be preceded by a messenger in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And that messenger is identified as John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. 
It says also in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, that his ministry would begin in Galilee. That specific, where he would start ministering, that it would begin in Galilee. And we see this fulfilled in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 and following. It says also in the book of Malachi, in chapter 3, verse 1, that he would enter into the temple with authority. And what did we see him do in Matthew 21? Making a whip, flipping over tables, entering the temple with authority. Finally, upon his death, he would enter. He would arrive into Jerusalem, not on a horse, not on some majestic creature, but on a donkey in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And what do we see Jesus coming into in his triumphant entry in Luke chapter 19, but a donkey. Did you know, if I, I could go on and on, right? There, there are 29 prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ in one day. In one day, one 24-hour period. Now, these, these aren't events surrounding his birth or things like this. They are events surrounding his betrayal, his trial, his defeat, and his burial. They were spoken in the Old Testament at various times by different people over a period of 500 years. So various people over 500 years said the Savior would come like this, he would come like this, he would come like this, and in one day Jesus fulfilled all of them. Let me give you a sample. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver in Zechariah chapter 11, which we see happen in Matthew 26, 26 15. He would be forsaken by his disciples in Zechariah 13, verse 7, which is exactly what happened in Mark 14, 50. His hands and feet would be pierced. It even tells us how he's going to be killed in Psalm chapter 22, verse 16. And this is exactly the crucifixion story. He would be crucified with thieves in Isaiah 53, verse 12. His bones would not be broken. As brutal as his death would be, somehow the psalmist in chapter 34, because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and God inspiring him to know how the Messiah would die, told him that his bones would not be broken. We also know from Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, that his side would be pierced, that there would be darkness over the land in Amos 8, 9, at his crucifixion, and that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. Friends, when God makes a promise, he does it. Can we just pause here and consider the words of the Apostle Peter when he said in his letter in verse 11, chapter 1, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. You see what he's saying? He's talking about the prophets and the sufferings that they prophesied. Trying to find out the time and circumstance to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that now have been told you. Even angels long to look at these things. Oh, friends, when the prophets spoke 500, 1,000 years ago, they weren't serving themselves. They were serving you. So that you would know that the claim that Christ is God in the flesh, Savior of the world, isn't just some outrageous thing that someone said long ago, but the actual Son of God said it, and we can trust it. But there's more. 
those things that were prophesied about him that happened in one day. There's even more than that. For his re resurrection was prophesied in Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, and we see in Acts chapter 2 and many other places in the gospel that tomb gloriously empty. That he would ascend into heaven in Psalm 68, verse 18. And indeed, in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, the apostles looked up to heaven as he ascended. And also in Psalm 110, that he would be seated at God's right hand. And the apostles, including John, made claim to actually have witnessed the risen Christ at the right hand of the Father. Oh, but there's one more that I want to sort of camp out with you just for a few minutes, if you would, because I find this one very fascinating. And that is the timing of the events or the different circumstances that surround the first coming of Jesus Christ. When Christ came to die, when he was born in the manger, that led to his eventual crucifixion and that awesome resurrection on that faithful day. God told the prophets when and how the Savior would come. Now follow this, because this is so beautiful. It says that when Jesus comes, or when the Messiah comes, to die for the sins of humanity, the scepter will be removed from Israel. Remember we read that um, in Isaiah chapter 49, let me, excuse me, Genesis 49. It says this in verse 10. The scepter will not depart from, is it Isaiah? Did I mess that up? I think it is Isaiah. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it comes, to, in, uh, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. The scepter departing when Shiloh or Messiah comes means that when he comes, Israel will have lost its judicial power. So you know when Jesus shows up, or when the Christ, when the Messiah shows up, Israel will be stripped of its power as a nation. Now, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you realize this or not, but 23 years before the trial of Jesus Christ, so Jesus is alive, in other words. He's a little boy in Nazareth. 23 years before the trial of Jesus, the legal power of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling government of Israel, was restricted by, by Roman rule. The Romans took supreme power away from the, from the Sanhedrin as early as A.D. 7. So again, Jesus is just a little boy at this time. This is what the Jewish Talmud says. The Jewish Talmud basically is a Jewish legal document. It says this, a little more than 40 years before the destruction of the temple, which happened in A.D. 90, the power of pronouncing capital sentences was taken away from the Jews. The Talmud goes on to quote the members of the Sanhedrin saying this. Now listen to this. This is super powerful. They say when they lost their power to Rome, they said this, Woe unto us, for the scepter has been taken from Judah, and the Messiah has not come. Josh McDowell responds, Little did they realize their Messiah was a young Nazarene walking in their midst. He had come. He was there. Isn't that amazing? The promise of God fulfilled because our God doesn't change his mind and no one can mess with him. But there's another occurrence that we learn from Scripture when Christ comes. Not only is the scepter removed from Israel, but it says that the Messiah is going to come before the destruction of the Jewish temple. 
Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. That's John the Baptist. Then suddenly the Lord you, will, you are seeking will come to his temple. What has to be there for the Messiah to come to the temple? The temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will, will come, says the Lord Almighty. These verses require that when Christ comes, the temple still be standing in Jerusalem. And friends, that is a great significance when you consider the fact that the temple was destroyed in AD 70, AD 70 and has never been rebuilt in the past 2,000 years. It is still empty. You see, friends, Messiah has come, and his name is Jesus. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26 says this, After the 62 weeks, I won't even go there, that's confusing, so we won't even go there, what 62 weeks means and all this. This part's easy, okay? After the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off, killed, and, he sh and, and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So in other words, the anointed one, the Messiah, is killed, and then an earthly prince destroys the, the temple, the Old Testament temple, the Jewish temple. So in the Bible, prophetically, this is what the Bible says about the promise of God, what God says, here's what's going to happen. The Messiah comes into the temple, he's cut off and dies, and then the city and the sanctuary are destroyed. This is Malachi 3 and Daniel chapter 9. Well, history tells us, just imagine we didn't know any of those scriptures. What happens in history? This, is, this we don't get, by the way, just from the Bible. We get it from, work, from Jewish scholars and historians like Josephus and Philo and, other, and others. History tells us that Jesus was born, that he claimed to be the Messiah, that he entered the temple, that he was crucified and cut off, that he claimed to res that his followers at least claimed to resurrect from the dead, and then in A.D. 70, the, the, the Roman Emperor Titus and, in, and his army marched into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Exactly what the Bible said would happen, happened. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, has come. Do you believe it? So why does this matter? Why am I talking about this on Advent? Friends, Scripture makes plain that God is the only true God, and he does not lie. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. That all things, myself, time, human history, governments, all bow to him. That he declares the end from the beginning, and what he says will happen, will happen. So, friends, we are able to distinguish between the true God and false gods by the truthfulness of their word. Isn't that true? Listen to Isaiah chapter 48 and verses 3 through 5. I foretold the former things long ago. I made them known, and then suddenly I acted, and they came to pass. For I know, I knew how stubborn you were. Therefore, I told you these things long ago. Before they happened, I announced them to you. You have heard these things so that you could look and see. Will you not admit them? And that is Isaiah's question. That is the Lord's question through Isaiah. Friends, 
Will you not admit it? Admit them? Jesus is Lord. Romans chapter 1, the gospel, he promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace upon grace. Through the promised Messiah, you know what grace upon grace means? It means that we are forgiven by grace through faith. He saves us. He makes us right with God. He puts us back where we belong. Won't you now admit that, friend? If you're watching online, will you finally admit that? Jesus is Lord. The promises have been fulfilled. And because of that, they demonstrate that there is a divine intellect an architect who is sovereign over all of the circumstances of human history and of your life. Would you come to him? Will you not admit this, that there is a God, that the Bible is his word? Jesus is who he said he was. He is who his followers claimed to be, him to be. God in the flesh, the savior to anyone who would trust in him through repentant faith. Oh, he is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God sent to take away the sins of man. Do not be afraid, Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. For he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign forever and ever. Oh, amen. Christian, if you're, a, if you're a Christian this morning, friend, do you have any reason to doubt the promise of God, to be afraid, to live in fret? Revelation 22 promises things that are not yet to be fulfilled. They're yet to come still. Do we have any reason to doubt those things? When God has fulfilled so many other of his promises exactly the way that he said he would, do we have any reason to doubt the promise of God when it says in his word, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. I'm the beginning and the end. And blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, who are sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the church. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright morning star, and I am coming quickly. You see, friends, when the Bible promised that Jesus would, would come... When Israel lost its power, it happened. And when, it, when, when the Bible promises that, that Jesus is coming again for a second time, quickly it's going to happen. Let him who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Friend, if you don't know Jesus yet, Will you not admit this? Oh, will you come? Are you thirsty? Drink.
drink the free gift of Christ's saving power. And if you are his by faith, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in him. Oh, we got some troubled hearts this morning, probably. Maybe watching online. There's some troubled hearts. And if you know Christ by faith, let them not be troubled. Believe in God. Come and drink of the water of life without cost. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for your promises, faithfully fulfilled, every single one of them. Oh God, how wonderful and majestic you are. How confident we can be that when you say our sins are forgiven through Christ and his resurrection, when you say that you're preparing a place for us and you're returning to bring us to that place, we can trust it. So God, I pray that our hearts wouldn't be troubled. If there are believers here today that are anxious souls, lift that anxiety, remove that grief and fear and and misery that they might be walking in and give them the joy of life the joy of life in Christ. And friend, if you don't know Christ yet, would you come to him by faith? Finally, will you not come? Will you not admit these things? Jesus is Lord. Oh, cry out in the silence of your own heart. Save me a sinner, God. Jesus is Lord. He came and died and rose for me. And he is my Lord. God, we ask that this indeed would be the case. And we pray that in weeks to come, that your Holy Spirit would be present with us and you, you would give your church sea legs, that you would give your people strength and courage and hope and that you would use us to be a light in a very dark world. We love you and ask these things in your name, we pray. Amen.